all of us. Everyone at the state's academic medical center. All working together to deliver complete care now and for generations to come. All over the state, including hospital and clinic locations from the Delta to the Gulf Coast. All for one reason, you. The University of Mississippi Medical Center. All for your health. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. Thank you for joining us on Southern Remedy for Women on MPB Think Radio. I'm Karen Brown here with Dr. Michelle Owens, specialist in maternal fetal medicine and OBGYN at UMMC and surgical pathologist, Dr. Allie Brown. Today, our topic is colorectal cancer and screenings for colorectal cancer is one of those things you go, oh, I'm going to put that off for a while probably because you have all these preconceived notions of how uncomfortable and embarrassing it might be. Well, Dr. Jim Soans, who is a gastroenterologist is here and he will tell us about the ins and the outs. Oh, say it, Michelle. Say from it. the reader to the tutor. Yeah, she loves to say expression. that. From the reader to the tutor. Um, talking about that and, and Dr. Sohn's uh, welcome and uh, thank, thank you. you so much for being here. And we always start the show by asking you to tell us about yourself. Um, well, my name is Jim Stones. I am a gastroenterologist, as you mentioned. I was in private practice here in Jackson for more years than I want to remember, 30-plus. And uh, a few years ago, I went to the university where I've been the chief of the GI division. And uh, I enjoy being a gastroenterologist, and this is one of the topics that uh, is so important. I enjoy talking about it. Are you from Mississippi? Yes, I grew up in the big city of Eupora, Mississippi. <laughs> Where's you know Eupora? Where Eupora is, you, you don't know where Eupora is? I'm from is? Louisiana, so, you know, I, I plead ignorance. It's like the center of the universe. <laughs> None uh, of the three of us are from Mississippi. No, it's in Webster County in the north central part. It's All a right. great little town and it was a great place to grow up in. Still a great town. All right. Where, where do we start now with colorectal cancer? Well, uh, I guess, first of all, we want to know that we would like to talk about the fact that it's so uh, prevalent. It's like the number two cancer in women in their lifetime, number three in men. It's very common. Um, it's, uh, and, the, of course, the main message, if I, if I leave everyone with one sentence here today, it's that removing colon polyps prevents colon cancer. Yeah, this is a huge win for screening with colon cancer. It's, I mean, there's just no reason to not get screened and, and detect these cancers early. Yeah, about a third of the people who uh, have colon cancer diagnosed uh, eventually die from the disease. And, you know, if someone tells you there's something you can easily do that only disrupts one day in your life uh, about every 10 years that could prevent you dying from the second most common cancer risk in your life. All of us say we'll do that, but it's amazing how many people don't do it. It's the, the saddest situation almost ever I see is someone who we find a colon cancer because symptoms have developed and they could have been screened at a time when they didn't have the symptoms in the past. So that's, that's a very sad situation. And I think it's also important. People oftentimes are concerned about... Um, 
well, I, I feel fine, so there's nothing wrong. Um, and I think that it's really important for people to understand that uh, the screening is not just for the people who think something's wrong, but the point is screening for everyone because how great is it if we can actually identify something that's going on that has the potential to become cancer or to catch a very early cancer before you actually have symptoms um, because that gives you the greatest likelihood at actually achieving a cure. And so when you think about, I think there's a lot of, a lot of fear um, and anxiety around the C word. I mean, some people are like, well, if I have it, I just don't want to know I mm-hmm. have it. I don't want somebody to tell me that. But I assure you that for those people who have the courage, there's another C word, the courage to go through screening. Um, if there's something that's found, you're far better off to have it found early. We talk about that all the time with early detection being key. Um, much better off if it's found early because then you have so many more options for treatment and possible cure. Now, and these polyps are easily removed. You don't have to get yeah, cut open, right? Are, I mean, talk about how that works when you're having a, a polyp just detected. And just backing up on what Michelle stated, it, it, uh, colon cancer begins almost always as a tiny polyp. Mm-hmm. You know, if you visualize the colon as a six-foot-long tube and polyps are tiny little growths of, like a wart on the inside of the colon, and you don't feel them, you don't know they're there, they don't normally bleed, they don't cause any symptom. And uh, for a polyp to develop into a cancer takes anywhere from 8 to 10 years. So you have this long period where it's so easy, while you're feeling well, to go in and find these and get them removed. Is it the second leading cause of cancer among women or because it goes undetected for so long? The fact that it is difficult to detect early is is the reason for that. The uh, if you wait till symptoms develop, well, what are the symptoms? Colon cancer might, in an advanced state, cause bleeding. It might cause pain. But by the time either of those come on, usually that means it's a fairly advanced uh, advanced lesion. At and what age should someone have a screening? Okay, that's a good question, and that's one of the most important things we're going to talk about today. Mm-hmm. Well, the answer is it depends. But as a general rule, you can say at age 50. Uh, age 45 in African-Americans, most people now say that um, because it does come on earlier and it, particularly in African-American men. So uh, age 50, if you don't have any other risk factors, and then there are a list of risk, risk factors that we might can talk about today. Okay. as well. We're going to go to the phones first and okay. say hi to Jim, who's calling in from Jackson. Go ahead, Jim. I have heard it said it's helpful if you take a baby aspirin every day to help prevent colon cancer. Is there truth to that statement? Yes, that is one of the things that uh, has been shown to to decrease the incidence of polyps and therefore colon cancer. Okay. Thank you. Thank you, Jim. Another so, reason to take aspirin. Yeah, and so it's a baby aspirin or just a mm-hmm. – as opposed, so the, just for the people who are listening to clarify, the baby aspirin typical preparation in the United States is 81 milligrams. So they are the small tablets. Many times they are – Chewable, so this is different. Than They're like, delicious, actually. <laughs> <laughs> they are they are the smaller um, chewable tablets that you can get. This is a little different from regular aspirin, which is usually three hundred and twenty five milligrams in the tablet. And when I think of regular aspirin, you think about what people take for headaches and those kinds of things. So um, a much lower dose, um, very easy to take. 
And there are many different health benefits that have been associated with um, with baby aspirin. Um, but this is it's just I thank the caller for the question because it's great to know that that's also this is one of the other benefits of a, a baby aspirin a day, which will keep the colon polyps away. <laughs> yeah, that was that was discovered really as a, kind of an offshoot of studies with aspirin and heart disease. Mm-hmm. They noticed that decreased incidence. Uh, and the other thing, one of the one of the big quote medicines unquote I'm making air quotes over here is uh, physical activity. You know, that's uh, been shown to have so many health benefits. And another one is reduced risk of colon cancer. It's free. Getting moving. Get moving. Mm -hmm. It also gets your exercise also gets your bowels moving, too, by the way. It it keeps you. If you exercise regularly, you will be regular. Why is the screening uh, age recommendation different for African-Americans? Because there's an increased incidence at an earlier age in African-Americans and the presentation of colon cancer, particularly, again, in African-American men, uh, can be at a more advanced stage earlier. So we usually recommend age 45 for African-Americans. So for um, anybody who has an African-American male in your life, um, African-American males, there are a few cancers that um, are particularly more aggressive and uh, for which males are recommended to have earlier screening. And prostate cancer is one of them. And uh, colon cancer is, is another. So that's just something to keep in mind. That's one more thing to nag him about. One <laughs> right. more thing. Is that um, worthwhile? Thing? Yes, what about absolutely. if it's in your family, if you have colorectal cancer in your family? Yeah, that. now we're talking about uh, p- people who are in a, quote, higher risk, unquote. Yeah, they're talking to- about us. Karen, you're talking <clears throat> about us. Both, yep. both Dr. Yep. Brown and I have, have parents mm-hmm. who... Um, have both been diagnosed with colon cancer. So this is especially pertinent because the answer to this question is being directed right across the, the table. <laughs> and you've both us. been screened, I take it? One of us. Uh, <laughs> we won't ask Look, which one. So, yeah. <laughs> we won't <laughs> ask. <laughs> the other one, one, the other one is imminently And happy. the other one is planning. <laughs> exactly. One of them has an appointment for Pete's okay, sake. Good, Give good. the other person a break. It's on its way. <laughs> And, and these two that are talking, they're both younger, certainly, much younger. Oh, well, than, thank you, Karen. Oh, yes. yes, we're very young. For the age you've recommended. Mm-hmm. So is that if, if one of your close family members has been diagnosed, if you're in your 20s, should you have oh, a like screening us. done? Yeah, yeah, like you, kind of, in your dreams. So <laughs> the general rule is with no risk factors, age 50 for the general population, age 45 for African Americans. Now, if a person in your family has had colon cancer or precancerous polyps, the recommendation is to start at 10 years before that presented in your family member. So, for example, if your uh, family member had colon cancer at age 40, then you really should start screening at age 30. And I've seen colon cancer in people in their 20s, in their teens. The youngest I saw was a 10-year-old who had colon cancer. That's extremely rare, though. And I've had a couple of um, patients who have... uh, become pregnant who have had histories of colon cancer and who were detected early for through screening and who with appropriate treatment were able to resume a, a normal life and be cancer free and have gone on to even have children so um, they're definitely you don't have to give up anything but the key is really making sure that you're getting screening and if you are an individual who's in a high risk category 
that you don't bury your head in the sand, but that you use that information to um, to motivate you as the motivation to make sure that you stay on top of it. And you can, you might not be able to change your risk category, but you can make sure about that, it. absolutely right. that you do something about and it. And we'll talk about the screening itself when we come back. The phone's starting to ring, but let me give the phone number out. It's one eight seven seven mpb ring one 672 or send an email to women at mpbonline.org. And we'll be back to talk about colorectal cancer when we return on Southern Remedy for Women on MPB Think Radio. If you're a sustaining member of MPB Think Radio, we appreciate your support of our programs. To become a sustainer, go to mpbonline.org. Southern Roots music favorite Paul Thorne and his band recording their hit gospel album Don't Let the Devil Ride in Memphis, New Orleans and Muscle Shoals featuring the legendary Blind Boys of Alabama and other special guests join us for Paul Thorne The Making Of premiering May 7th at 8pm on MPB Television Listen again to stories and shows at mpbonline.org. This is Southern Remedy for Women on MPB Think Radio. To take part in today's show with your questions or comments, call 1-877-MPB-RING. That's 1-877-672-7464. Or you can email the show, women at mpbonline.org. back on Southern Remedy for Women. I'm Karen Brown here with Dr. Michelle Owens, Dr. Ali Brown, and our special guest is Dr. Jim Sones. He is a gastroenterologist. Am I saying that right? You Gastroenterologist. Right. Okay. Yeah. I feel like I'm missing Be confident, Karen. a clump in it. there. All right. We are talking about colon cancer today and screenings for colon cancer, and all of our lines have lit up. So let's get to the phones. Mark is calling in from Tupelo. Mark, go ahead. I got a couple of questions. Uh, the biggest question, uh, I've got two small questions actually uh question number one is uh back when i was 35 years old i'm now 41 back when i was 35 i had an uncle who was 47 in stage two uh colon cancer and he had no clue he had stage two uh obviously he was at the point of no return already even with chemo the question i have is about that same time that occurred with him I had come down with two thrombosemorrhoids that the VA in Memphis had to uh, lacerate. And it did scare me enough to go ahead and get a screening, even at, young, even at a young age of 35. They found four polyps, non-cancerous, and pulled them out. But with that being said, part one of my question is, what's now my recommended age to go back and check? And part two, I've also seen commercials of uh, where you can um, have uh, some type of thing sent to your uh, house. You do a stool sample and you send it back and it goes for a uh, screening of, of uh, for colon cancer. Okay, good questions, Mark. Dr. Sones? Okay, um, lots of good things to talk about there. Uh, let me just start at the end of your question about the, the uh, type of screening you can do from home. And 
those advertisements are for something that looks for DNA in the stool, and it can pick up polyps and uh, advanced uh, uh, advanced polyps and, and colon cancer. Um, it's very expensive. It's about $629, which can be, uh, you know, it varies, but uh, colonoscopy on average is around $1,600, but can be more according to where you do it and the, the setting and so forth. Uh, insurance generally covers colonoscopy screening. I'm not sure about this test, but it can be done from home. It is very accurate, but it's not particularly specific. In other words, it can pick up, if you have a colon cancer, it can pick it up, but it can have a, quite a few false positives, which may then lead you to have separate tests. The colonoscopy, and we keep harping about this because not only is it a diagnostic test, it's therapeutic. You not only can find the cancer and the precancerous lesions, you can generally take out the polyps or, or, send you, or find out you need surgery uh, much sooner in a curable state. Um, now, what was the first part? Well, of I would guess if you have that home test and it says yeah. it's positive, then you have to have a colonoscopy. Then you have to have a colonoscopy. Okay. The, yeah. the first part was about his brother yeah. having it. And he, about, it, it was his uncle. uncle. He wanted to know when to go back because yeah. he went so, at 35. So your uncle, uh, is a that would be a second-degree relative. Mm-hmm. So the way, you, the way I remember this is if you draw a family tree and connect everybody in it, a first-degree relative is someone that's one notch away on the family tree. This would be like mother, father, brother, sister, son, daughter. An uncle would be then one removed or a second degree. Um, yes, you, you, if you have two second-degree relatives, that puts you in an increased risk group. Having one doesn't necessarily. But then there's all kind of math you can do on this, like what if you only have one uncle? Then you don't have any other second degree. So it's to, to be on the safe side, um, you know, sometimes we would screen a little bit earlier. Now, in your case, if you uh, had these polyps, then you should be screened again in five years. So you were 36, so age 41, yeah, you should have another uh, screening. All right. Thank you so much for your call, Mark. Moving on, we have Dexter calling in from Oxford. Hi, Dexter. Oh, good morning. Um, uh, what's the second best alternative to uh, colonoscopy screening? Because my brother-in-law... Uh, does not want a colonoscopy, so we want to try to get the second best thing for him. Well, the problem we have, as we just mentioned, is all the other screening techniques, and we'll just talk about some of them. Uh, first of all, some of them are not really available um, around here. One is a, the the uh, CT scan which with a colon exam. You have to take the same prep. If you find a polyp, again, you have to turn around and have a colonoscopy to get the polyp removed. Um I think what I what I do when I find people like that, and that's not unusual to people. Nobody really wants a colonoscopy, <laughs> so to speak. But they're lining uh, up. <laughs> yeah, they're not lining up for that. It's part. not like free ice cream. But uh, uh, almost <laughs> to a person who has a colonoscopy, and I've had several of them. In addition to having done about sixty thousand of them, um, is that a six zero thousand? Six sixty. Oh my. Wow. I'm, I'm an old person. That's <laughs> and but, a busy person. <laughs> but at any rate, um, almost everyone who's had a colonoscopy will just tell you that was a piece of cake. The procedure itself, the sedation medicine we have nowadays, it's, you can almost guarantee that, that a person will not have pain or discomfort during the exam. The prep is what people don't like. Which, But essentially, you have diarrhea for about 24 hours, and all of us during a regular year are going to have a day where we have a, a GI bug and have diarrhea. So the colonoscopy is safe. 
uh, relatively painless, and it's such a great investment uh, in your health. And like you said, the prep is the same. Even if you have the CT. But back to your relative who, if he absolutely will not have a colonoscopy, perhaps that stool DNA test, there's a stool test that looks for traces of blood. Uh, The CT um, colon exam is another one. But again, all of those, if, if they're positive, you have to turn around and have a colonoscopy. Thank you for your question, Dexter. I hope that's helpful to you. People are very uncomfortable with their privates in general those of us who they're not when they're just alone those of us who who take care of sensitive private spaces it can be very difficult for people to feel comfortable with the concept of as was said during the break you know a, a little camera going in your bottom and you know going up up that way or even for gyn exams um to to a, that those private places it's very difficult for people to gain a level of comfort i think there's a lot of fear about whether or not it's going to hurt and what it's going to be like afterwards there are so many different things that are just like psychological barriers that keep people from being willing or open to not only colonoscopy but other exams on sensitive parts of their body. But bodies. think of having a camera. I mean, the technology of a camera. How big is that camera, Dr. Sohn? It's very small. The instruments are the size of a ballpoint pen, essentially. Nowadays, they're very small. But to Michelle's point, uh, a lot of women really do like uh, would like to have a woman a gastroenterologist. And fortunately, we have lots of women GI people today. So... Um, in fact, I read yesterday, this is in your field, I had no idea that um, in OBGYN residents now are 82% women. Yep. I had no idea yeah. that, that uh, I'm, I'm really getting old. We're having, yeah, we're having conversations now about whether or not male OBGYNs are becoming are like an endangered species. Right. Um, because there are so many women that are coming into OBGYN, which is drastically different if you looked at OBGYN training 50 years ago compared with what it looks like now it's totally totally switched in your practice I've heard of some uh, programs some training programs actually recruiting recruiting men for diversity Mm -hmm. but from your practice do you find that women are less reluctant because they're used to having babies and going Mm -hmm. to the gynecologist you or it, it is there any difference between uh, men and women being reluctant to come in for a colonoscopy? Uh, they, uh, uh, some w- would prefer a woman to mm-hmm. do the procedure, and that can be easily arranged nowadays. Back to the phones we go. Frank is calling in from Madison. Hi, Frank. Hi. Go ahead with your question. Uh, a few years ago, I was seeing a, um, a private physician, and I was having a colonoscopy every two years and finding precancerous polyps. And then three or four years went by, and I realized I hadn't had one scheduled. And I called the office and said, it's been a while since I had one scheduled. And we were doing them every two years. Shouldn't I be ready for one? And they said, oh, no, you don't need one. We're we're going to every 10 years now. And I don't want to be cynical, but I kind of wondered later, is that because I got off private pay insurance and went on Medicare or or?" Am I safe going 10 years without one? And I'm 72 now. Well, that's a good question. And I hope that wasn't the reason. But the reason uh, primarily are with the guidelines changed, number one. 
Um, the guidelines, uh, we, we go by uh, national organizations that uh, look at a lot of data and give us guidelines for all sorts of things, and one of them is for colon cancer screening. And um, this 10-year, for a while, I know, like I said, I've been around a long time, and well, there was a time when we were doing colonoscopy a lot more frequently because we thought the reoccurrence of polyps occurred at a faster interval rate than it does. But nowadays, if you have an exam and you have uh, colon polyps, generally you follow up every five years. Now, the corollary to that, and this gets a little confusing, is there are polyps and there are polyps. Uh, so there are polyps that are precancerous or called adenomas. And adenomas can go through several phases before they become a cancer. And the pathologist looking under the microscope can tell us which one of these phases. So in, a, in addition to establishing someone's risk based on their family history and whether or not they've had colon cancer themselves or a polyp, you look at the histology or the type of polyp that was. So um, the, if, if, uh, I always tell people, if you, when you have a colonoscopy, always get the report in case you end up going somewhere else to have your follow-up exam. And importantly, always get the path report because many people say, well, I had polyps. Well, it turns out the type of polyp they had may have not been an adenoma, which is the precancerous polyp. They may have been what's called a hyperplastic polyp, which generally has no or little uh, colon cancer risk. So there could be several things. I wouldn't know without looking at all your reports, but maybe the polyps you had were hyperplastic and the guidelines have changed and you don't have to, you don't have to have that again if someone has hyperplastic polyps uh, particularly in the left colon and in the rectum generally that has very little risk for colon cancer all right frank thank you so much for your phone call we're going to take one more call before we take our next break jane go ahead yes i'll I had a heart attack about nine years ago, and they put me on Plavix. And prior to that, I had had numerous uh, colonoscopies with some benign polyps removed. And uh, all of a sudden, I, I realized recently that I hadn't had one in nine years. And so I went to my gastroenterologist, and he said, oh, well, I had to be off of the Plavix for a week before he could do it. And so I asked my cardiologist if I could be off of the Plavix, and he said no, because there's always a risk that you, you'll nick something or something. And anyway, you're so old. And so <laughs> I, I, uh, I didn't, haven't had it. So I wondered what you all's opinion of that is, and what, if anything, I should do at this point. Okay, that's a, that's a very common situation. You know, lots of folks nowadays are on anticoagulant medications, like you mentioned, Plavix or Coumadin is another common one. And then there's entire new generation of of um, anticoagulants. And, um, so we, what we do normally when we we do a screening on the phone uh, when we're scheduling colonoscopy, and if someone is on one of these drugs, we communicate directly with the provider who put them on the drug to find out that kind of question. Sometimes people can't be off Coumadin or Plavix or anything like that. You can still have a colonoscopy. We just can't remove a large polyp. Even on Plavix, well, you can take a small biopsies generally without much uh, trouble. But um, uh, many times the 
cardiologist who replaced the person on these drugs will then give instructions about how to take them off of it, say, well, it's okay to be off a few days, or they will do something called bridging, where you use uh, an injectable uh, shot of an anticoagulant that lasts about 12 hours that you can interrupt just for a six-hour window and do the procedure. But being on anticoagulant doesn't mean you can't have a diagnostic colonoscopy. And then, of course, you may have an exam on an anticoagulant, and it may look fine, or there may just be a tiny polyp that just needs a little biopsy. But if you find a cancer or a large polyp, you can't do extensive work on it on the anticoagulants. But uh, I would talk that over again with all the people involved. What about age as well? She said her doctor says she's too old to have a colonoscopy. Is that such a thing? Well, again, everybody's... uh, health is not directly correlated with their age. We see 90-year-olds that look great, and we see 50-year-olds that look terrible. Um, I think you have to measure the comorbidities, as we call them, all the different uh, types of illness that someone has and the risks they have for for having sedation primarily. Or in the worst case, if if, uh, some catastrophe happened during a procedure, which is extremely rare, but something that required surgery, is this patient a candidate for some type of emergency surgery? So all of these are questions that have to be weighed, and the gastroenterologists and their staff should go over all this with you. Thank you so much, Jane. We need to take our second break of the hour. If you'd like to call in with a question or a comment, the number is 1-877-MPB-RING, 1-877-672-7464. Or if you'd prefer, send an email to women at mpbonline.org. We'll be back on Southern Remedy for Women on MPB Think Radio. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. Good morning and thanks for listening to Southern Remedy for Women. I'm Karen Brown. Dr. Michelle Owens is here. Dr. Ali Brown is here. And our special guest is Dr. Jim Sones. He's a gastroenterologist. Gastro and see, now I doubt myself and I can't say it. Gastroenterologist. (laughs) And we're talking about colon cancer and screening, essentially a colonoscopy. Uh, If you'd like to give us a call, again, the number is 1-877-MPB-RING. 1-877-672-7464. So, Dr. Soans, share a couple of stories with us, some little anecdotes about your well, 60,000 colonoscopies. <laughs> and I don't know that it's exactly 60,000. I'm uh, one of my, I'm just stuck on that number. It just seems One of my enormous. fellows in our training program figured, uh, calculated that number based on how ancient I am, I think. <laughs> but, um, yeah, we were talking during the break about uh, many times through my career I've, I've ended up screening couples, you know, husband and wife, and invariably 
the husband sends the wife first to get screened, I guess to make sure we don't kill her. And then if, <laughs> if she does okay, then he Then he's he like, comes okay, I'll go. To get, uh, get screened. It, it is funny. I laugh. A, a nurse and I used to laugh about uh, the fact that we would always see the woman first. Um, I have seen cases, though, where um, a wife came to get screened and had a polyp. And so that got the attention of the husband who would come. And once I had this happen that I remember clearly, and the husband had a colon cancer that was undiagnosed, asymptomatic, no problems, no bleeding, and just happened to find it because his wife insisted that he uh, come and get uh, screened. So you're right, Dr. Mm-hmm. Owens, about ragging right. your husband. No, that's for you. sure right. It, it, it's serious. It's a real deal. I'll yep. tell you another uh, anecdote along that line. You know, they come to you when you start telling anecdotes, they, you start remembering them. <laughs> but I had a call once from a lady who's a patient, had <clears throat> been my patient and her husband as well for a long time, and the husband had passed away from colon cancer. And she was cleaning out the uh, his stuff out of the bedroom, out of the drawers and so forth, and um, she found four envelopes with request for us for him to come get screened oh. that he never came oh. and it, oh it added a sadness to, to her story at oh, the time. Sure. Yes. be sure. proactive people yeah. don't let that happen to the phones we go vicky calling in from tupelo go ahead vicky oh yes thank you for taking my call and i just wanted to ask um your gastrologist that's on line here uh i am 59 and last year in december i went for my well screening my first colonoscopy and uh, it was through a gastrologist there in Tupelo, here in Tupelo. And he found 60 polyps. And <laughs> I've never had any medicine. I've never been, I've never had anything done other than uh, a smear mammogram once a year. And he uh, postponed, he removed 30 of those polyps. And then he said that he wanted me to come back in June and remove the other 30. And my question is, um, why... Could he not have went ahead? I kind of asked him, but I was kind of in and out after the procedure. Um, but he said that it would cause a lot of uh, internal bleeding, um, you know, if he went in and done the 60 at one time. But I'm, my question is, I had some abnormal polyps, so why would he have waited six months to do another colonoscopy? That's my question. I'm not sure I can answer that last part completely, but I can tell you the time involved to remove 60 polyps is a, you must have had a really long procedure. Not not that it's it's too long, but it's just that uh, it keeps you under sedation for a very prolonged period of time. Uh, not to mention the fact that he had duties with other patients who were scheduled that day too, and he has to pretty well pay attention to everyone. Um, and also, when you take out 60 polyps, that is a, that leaves a considerable amount of raw area that's been denuded of the mucosa or the lining of the colon so you, you you have risk of bleeding and problems along that line um, I'm sure the first thing I thought of when you mentioned 60 polyps is uh, one of the adenomatosis syndromes or polyposis syndromes that there are genetic uh, uh, diseases that where people have extremely large number of polyps so be sure you discuss that uh, with your gastroenterologist as well and make sure he looks at your pedigree of your family to see if anyone's had colon polyps before. I mean, you can have a, a genetic mutation, and you, you could be the first one to have it, but uh, th- that certainly brings to mind some of those uh, polyposis syndromes. 
Thank you, Vicki. Thank you very much for your call. That brings to mind what is involved in removing polyps. How is it done? Okay. Uh, tiny polyps, very small polyps, like the less than a pencil eraser size. Sometimes you can remove totally just with biopsies. And biopsies, the instrument we use is a cable that has little jaws on the end that you open and close and snip them off. Uh, the lining of your colon, by the way, doesn't have sensation. I mean, even if you were completely awake, you wouldn't feel the removal of a polyp. When polyps get larger, we use a snare, which is a wire uh, device that you can open and close that uh, amputates the polyp off that way. And it can cause internal bleeding? Uh, when you remove the polyp? Yeah. yeah it's a small risk, a uh, very small risk. But uh, on the last lady's question, by the time you do 60 of them, uh, that could yeah. that could be uh, more of a 60 times the risk, I guess, is the way to say it. John is calling in from Louisiana. Hi, John. Hello. Go ahead with your question. Oh, thank you for your show. Uh, I've had two colonoscopies, and the first one was a piece of cake, no problem with the prep solution. But the second time, I had some nausea with the prep solution. Uh, someone had suggested taking a Benadryl as a pre- preventative for that, and I was just going to ask the doctor what some tips were for preventing nausea with the PrEP. Good question. A very good question. And uh, the first thing I would do were you, my patient, having this, and you communicated that to us, I would give you a medication for nausea to take before, like Zofran, which you can take the type that dissolves on your tongue. Um, You can take ginger, which is a kind of homeopathic uh, medicine you can buy over the counter. Um, And then the other thing is a PrEP. I would look at your PrEP. Did, Did the PrEP uh, do well with your first examination? Yes, the first one was called movie. Yeah, M- movie prep. M-O-V-I-E yeah. prep. And the second one was supposed to be a new improved type, which I guess is a saline. Is that correct? Some sort of saline solution? Well, all of them to some degree are solutions like the electrolyte solutions. But um, the standard nowadays, the thing that's changed in the last few years is that uh, is using a split prep uh, where you take half the half the volume of your original prep and then some hours later, usually the early morning, like 4 a.m. of the day you're having your procedure, you do the second uh, prep. Uh, not only is that easier on the patient, it's been shown in numerous studies that that gives better results and you get a much clearer exam. And, and while we're talking about this, we could talk a moment about preps because this is absolutely the thing that bothers people the most uh, about is uh, is the preps. They're not delicious. Uh, they're not any fun. Uh, Maybe we should work on that. Delicious prep. Well, it's the amount, They'll add flavor, it's the amount but it's that not you have good. to drink. I mean, yeah. nobody yeah, is used the, to drinking the, that much. Yeah, it's the amount. That's the main thing. And then, like this gentleman, some people may have nausea with the prep. Uh, and there are people who just can't take a prep. And we have to use other uh, strong laxatives and things along that line. But um, What about the Benadryl? Yeah, Benadryl is an antihistamine. It has a mild anti-nausea effect, but yeah. they're better medicines, really, than Benadryl. And I would encourage you to talk to your gastroenterologist about this and about the problems you had specifically. We we tailor the prep all the time to the individual because we want it to be as comfortable as possible. And the main thing is we want it something that people will take because you've got to take it to get the results. And sometimes people don't 
take all the prep or even very much of it, but show up thinking we can still do the exam, and it just doesn't work that way. <laughs> like they're going to pour it out in the sink and tell you they did it or something? Uh, John, thank you very much for your phone call. So you, so you said there's oh, – sorry, John. I, I'm, I'm a trigger finger. She's – Crazy with that button, man. She'll cut you off. Karen will make you bleed. She'll cut you so hard. What what other kinds of preps? You say you try different things with people. Well, uh, there's not a, quote, best prep, unquote, and... uh, the best prep is the one that they that they do correctly that cleans that them out. There yeah. you go. That's it. Um, you know, this uh, the program's not long enough long enough for us to get into uh, talking about constipation. But if constipation is a uh, you chronic, the floodgates. Uh, chronic problem kind of with you, really. you may need additional prep. Or sometimes you may need I like to call it a prep before the prep. And sometimes I'll do that and give the patient a laxative the day before they actually start on clear liquid diet and and uh, take the prep. Okay, it, I've got a wonderful idea. I think we're going to come up, we're going to formulate our delicious prep. It's come see this is the this is what happens. We we're, we're here, you know, all, with all these minds sitting around the table at Southern Remedy. We're going to call it prep for you. Well, I, prep <laughs> for you. We'll have it in a variety of flavors that can be customized for you the You can patients. get these flavors. Okay. Yeah, we need to take our last break really of help. the hour. We need to take our break time out. Uh, Mark, hang on the line. We'll get to your phone call when we come back. If you want to give us a call, now is the time. We're heading into our last segment. The number is one eight seven seven MPB ring. One eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four, and we'll be back to finish up Southern Remedy for Women on MPB Think Radio. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. Welcome back to Southern Remedy for Women on MPB Think Radio. We're talking about colonoscopies, colon cancer, colorectal cancer, I guess is the proper name. And Dr. Jim Sones is our guest. We want to say hello to Mark, who's calling in from Tupelo. Thanks for your patience. Mark, go ahead. Uh, Good morning. My question is, my son is 26 years old and has been diagnosed with UC for about four or five years. How often should he get a colonoscopy and what is his increased risk for cancer uh, lifelong cancer having UC? A very good question, and we were going to eventually get with that, get to that. So what, what uh, we know there's an increased risk in someone's lifetime for having colon cancer with inflammatory bowel disease, not only Crohn's disease, but um, not only ulcerative colitis, but Crohn's disease as well. So normally we don't start looking in ulcerative colitis at an increased risk until about seven years of disease. Uh, and then the risk is tied, and this all has to be very individualized, it's tied to the severity of the disease. In other words, is the disease sporadic or is it continuously active? 
uh, being continuously active would increase the risk. And then how much of the colon is involved? In people who have distal ulcerative colitis confined to the rectum or the sigmoid colon, that left side of the colon, the risk is not as much as those that have what's called a pancolitis, where it involves the entire length of the colon. So if your son's situation is that he has the entire colon examined, I mean involved, and it's been more or less continuously active, then I'd get more serious about uh, checking. And um, most people would say once a year after, uh, after age uh, seven. I mean, okay. after seven years of uh, a disease. Good deal. Thank you very much for your for your for your help. Thank you very much, Mark. That, that brings up what we were kind of talking yeah. about other reasons, like well, not just for screening. Yeah, well, and the other thing that I thought about because he mentioned ulcerative colitis mm-hmm. and Crohn's disease, which are types of inflammatory bowel diseases, but like risk reduction. So we've talked about family history. You can't really change your genetic makeup. Um, and so you can't really change your ethnicity. So those are things that might put certain people or certain groups at increased risk. Um, and the way that we are chromosomally engineered for our genetics and our, like, so for whether it's even related to gender. Um, so you can't really change the genetic part. Um, what are some modifiable risk factors? What are some things that people can do? To lower their risk, if you obviously, if you are diagnosed with inflammatory bowel disease, you just make sure that you try to keep your disease under control. But what kinds of things can people do that really will make a difference in their risk outside of? We, I guess we did talk about baby aspirin. We but talked are there about anything? aspirin. And, yeah, anything uh, else? Exercise. And, uh, all, we talked uh-huh. about all the sins a minute ago, which is um, oh yeah. Uh, the we weren't on the much, radio though. I was not, just talking about that. <laughs> all that, but so here, here's the way uh, it should be done. Uh, talk with your doctor, and, they're, they're, and you can go through a series of questions to find out, are you or are you not in a high-risk group? In fact, there's something online you can go that's called a decision tool that you can plug in some things. So a few questions, though, that you, can, you and your, that your doctor might ask you is, number one, are, have you ever had can- colon cancer yourself or a polyp? So that immediately puts you in a high-risk group. If you've had colon cancer once, survived it, uh, then you still you have a more an increased risk of developing it again as compared to someone your age without that history. Then you want to know if you have inflammatory bowel disease. We mentioned that. Do you have family members who have had colon cancer or a polyp? Remember, even a polyp. And if if you have a, a mother or father that had a single colon polyp, then your risk of developing colon cancer is the same as if they had cancer. Because you don't know if that polyp was removed, you don't know whether that polyp was going to develop into a cancer or not. And this is a mistake people make. They'll, I'll say, do you have a family member with colon cancer? And they will say, yes, my brother had it, but they operated and it was fine. He got cured. It's like like that. In, that decreases my risk because that person's cancer was cured. It doesn't at all. The fact we're looking at ge- genetics here. So <laughs> the fact that they had a single polyp or a cancer transfers to you that genetic risk. Um, so if you answer no to all those things we just talked about, then you're in what's called an average risk group. And uh, without finding a polyp in you, it's every 10 years. But the other thing is those questions have to be asked again at intervals. You, you really should start at about age 20 asking patients those questions. And then uh, things changed. You know, that's one thing when they first came out with a 10-year follow-up, it bothered me because I thought, well, someone – is giving me no answer to all of these, but by the time I see them in 10 years, what if they're 
relative develops colon cancer, do they? And so I always let them know if anything changes in this, get in touch with us because that may change your risk. The lady who called in earlier who had the 60 polyps, would the doctor look at every single one of those polyps? And what are you looking for specifically? Right. The pathologist looks at those. Oh, that go. would be Dr. Allie uh, Brown. We've, we've got a real-life pathologist. <laughs> That's right. right we, yeah. So you're looking at... In the wild. Yeah. <laughs> what are you getting? You're getting film of all 60 it's polyps? It's not film. It's the actual polyp itself. And we in, uh, embed it in like a oh, wax because, to make a slide of it. And we so, look under so the microscope. So you don't determine anything while it's inside the body. They actually take it out. It's after it's They're removed. removing it. That's correct. You have to actually yeah. have when, the tissue when we're, when we're looking inside the colon and we see a polyp... We can't tell if it's a precancerous polyp or a non-precancerous polyp. Uh, we we find polyps often that are, that don't have any cancer potential, but polyps are very very common. I don't know if I mentioned this earlier, but uh, the stats show that twenty yeah thirty percent of men and twenty percent of women at their initial screening will have a polyp of some type. So uh, mm-hmm. we can't tell what they are until our Friendly pathologist looks on looks That's at it right. under the microscope. Not all polyps are precancerous, as Dr. Stones mentioned earlier, and the pathologist has to make that determination. Okay, we only have when a minute and a half left, and we have to ask our final question. We always ask our doctors now. This is a new thing, oh. sort of new. What is the most unusual or interesting thing you've ever seen? That you can say on the radio. That, that you can say on the radio. You just removed. I nine, see there. 90% of them you just removed. But, uh, when you say that to a gastroenterologist. <laughs> yeah, indeed. Uh, Gosh, there's so many, and there's so many years, and there's so little time. Uh, I, I would have a hard time being pinned down on What that. about the largest polyp you found? There are polyps that are too large, so to speak, to remove uh, via a colonoscope, and those go to surgery. Uh, our surgeons still do a great job, and, and our job is to prevent people from having to go to surgery. But I will say that uh, over the years that I've been practicing, as I mentioned a long time, the um, the size of the polyp has become less of a problem. We're taking out larger and larger polyps than uh, we could in the past due to a lot of technical uh, improvements that have occurred through the years. Okay. The largest? Oh, the largest would be, mm, I'd say, the size of a hen egg or maybe a little larger. That's pretty big in your That's pretty big in your colon. In your, colon. <laughs> your, whole, your, your colon can hold a lot of stuff. It's designed to. It's yeah. designed yeah. to right. a colon that, I mean, a... A polyp that large might block anything that's trying to get through Absolutely. the colon. All right. That pretty much wraps up our show. <laughs> Dr. Jim Sones, thank you so much for coming in. It was thank very you. interesting. Southern Remedy for Women is a production of Mississippi Public Broadcasting. Think Radio, it is funded in part by a grant from the University of Mississippi Medical Center and by the generous support from the MPB Foundation. Today's show was engineered by Jay White, our call screener, Java Chapman. For Dr. Michelle Owens and for Dr. Allie Brown, I'm Karen Brown. Join us next Friday at 11 for Southern Remedy for Women and stay tuned. NPR's Here and Now is next on MPB Think Radio. This is MPB Think Radio, Mississippi Public Broadcasting.